Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, March 15th, 2020, and this is show number 70, 775. Now, it's funny that I stumbled over the number because I really think I should put a random number generator to tell you the episode number, since I cannot seem to crack the code on simply adding one to the previous number. Many thanks to Bob Morgan for pointing out that last week's show was not NoSilicast 744, it was 774. I swear to you, I got straight A's in calculus, but this edition thing just it baffles me. Well, I'd like to say a quick uh, happy anniversary to my darling husband, Steve, the uh, person who is definitely the, uh, the, the force behind the show that helps me keep going. We celebrated our 37th anniversary this year. And uh, as I said in my, uh, my social media post, if we had been born 100 years ago, our life expectancy would have been 37 years. So, uh, you know, I think we're doing pretty good. Well, we do have a fun-filled tech show to distract you from all of the happenings in the world today. We're going to learn about the MyQ Connected Garage Door Opener from LiftMaster at CES. I'm going to tell you a story that will make you wonder why anyone chooses Android. I know there's Android listeners, and I'm not trying to irritate you, but the story I have to tell, I don't know why, so... Anyway, then we'll go back to CES and we'll learn about electric vehicle wall chargers from at a company called Wallbox. If you're thinking your toothbrush isn't as smart as it should be, you will enjoy the interview with Colgate about the Plaqueless Pro. Fitting prosthetic limbs is a painstaking and painful process, so we'll talk to Radii Devices at CES who told us about some tools they're developing to reduce the number of fittings to reduce pain points via their heat map type applications. Then we'll cleanse our palates as I tell you about my favorite new distraction for uh, it's on iOS, Android, and even the web. It's called Fluid Simulation. This week, I've got back on Chit Chat Across the Pond, your favorite guest and mine, Dr. Marianne Gary of the University of Waikato. I asked Marianne to come on the show this week to help me break down a research paper I read that it's not actually in her area of expertise. Nonetheless, she does help me understand the testing methods used and helps explain whether the conclusions are useful of the paper that we read together. The paper we talked about came to my attention via the Daily Tech News Show with Tom Merritt. The paper is available as an open access paper, and it's entitled Relating Natural Language Aptitude to Individual Differences in Learning Programming Languages, and it's on nature.com. This is a study that was done out of the University of Washington, which hypothesized that learning to program might not depend as much on math skills, but maybe was more correlated with language learning skills. If found to be true, it brings into question why we usually have higher level math requirements in universities for programming courses. Now, I can imagine pretty much every nerd listening, which is all of us, getting our hackles up at the very thought that math isn't more important to programming than the ability to learn languages. Now, that was certainly my first reaction, but reading the details of the paper and going through it with Marianne brought me around to thinking maybe there's some merit to this idea. But it also uh, might uh, point you towards thinking that maybe you can't broadly apply this, uh, this concept, but it is, it's a real good thought piece. You can find this episode in your podcatcher of choice under Chit Chat Across the Pond Light. And of course, as always, you can listen over at podfeet.com. And uh, let me give a little shout out here. Sandy, in particular, will want to listen to the entire episode. One of the products I have never reviewed on the show is the LiftMaster with the MyQ uh, Smart Garage Door Opener. 
And the reason I haven't reviewed it is because Steve and I installed it and it just worked. There was no story to tell. And I like to tell a story. You know, there's got to be trials and tribulations. And we put this thing together and now I can control my garage door. It's a smart garage door open. It's fabulous. I love it. But I didn't have a story to tell. So I have stopped by the LiftMaster booth to talk to Kevin Brigham so he can tell you about these fabulous products and get the credit they deserve that I never gave you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, for coming by our booth today. But uh, yeah, it, it's really exciting with the MyQ Connected products. It really allows you to have uh, the knowledge and be able to monitor and control just like what you're saying, right? To be able to know the status of your door at any time. And the whole idea around this is, is, is bringing access points uh, and being able to connect those access points. So the latest innovation we have that we just launched is we've taken our LiftMaster garage door opener. We actually integrated a video camera into it. So not oh, only that's cool. with, not only with our MyQ connected will you know the status, but you'll be able to visually confirm what's going on in your garage. Is your door actually closed? Did your kids come home from school? Or did your 16-year-old borrow your car again and drive out the door with it, right? So it's all around those access points and getting visual confirmation is extremely important. So not only are you able to do that, but one of the other, so this is the MyQ app itself, right? You're very familiar with he's, that. He's looking at an iPad right now. We're doing audio and video, yeah. so I'm going to talk along. So uh, so what you see is we're live streaming at the moment. But not only can you live stream, but you can actually take action. So if you go to your live stream and see the doors open, you can actually go, I want to close my garage door. I love so, the way it, wait, here. Here it's so it's beeping, and it does yeah. that to warn people, I think, that in it's going to... that's correct. I didn't need any instruction to know, oh, it would be dumb to just go and close the garage door. Right. One little warning. Yeah, it's exactly right, because security uh, and safety is very important to us as an organization. So we wanted to make sure when we came out with a product that we wouldn't injure anyone in the garage, right? That if would be bad there, for PR. Ex exactly right, absolutely. People hate that. Yeah, so not only do we have the integrated solution, but we also offer an accessory camera as well that you could actually, it has a magnet on the bottom that actually sticks to an existing garage opener. So oh. even for you, Allison, if you wanted to add a camera to your opener because you have MyQ already, you can do that. Oh, that and again, it's sweet. integrated into the MyQ app itself. So. He just took this little tiny uh, camera. It's uh, like a three by three inch camera and he just stuck it to the bottom of the garage door opener. That's awesome. Yeah, we're really excited about it. It really gives the opportunity for people that, again, that have a MyQ system already and an opener to get a camera. And actually that was one of the things I really liked was we had a LiftMaster, but then we wanted the smart access and we were able to add that on. As you didn't make me buy a whole new garage door opener, we were able that, to add modular right. on. You, yeah. you, you purchase the hub and you can get MyQ access to any garage door opener. That's yeah, absolutely that, Oh, okay. Any, uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah I yeah, really, really It's a really universal product. Absolutely. So not only that, but we continue to look at access point, and that other access point is your door from the garage into your home. So what we've done is we've actually partnered with Yale Locks, so Yale LiftMaster, and we have a smart lock now. So not only can you control and monitor your garage door, but now you can actually lock your entry door into your home itself. Oh, that's great. So, now you've uh, got you've got one that looks like a deadbolt lock and another one with the, the swivel handle? Correct, yeah. There'll be uh, different uh, 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 models available, like you're explaining now, absolutely. So So I gotta, um, I gotta tell you, we just, uh, my husband Steve here, just had to remove that kind of a door handle from our daughter's uh, door, internal door, 
because your dog kept opening the door. Oh my he was turning the handle and pulling it towards him. Wow. So he was getting out of the house. They couldn't figure out how he was getting out, and they finally caught him on it. So we could defy him if they had one you of these. You could have defied him, yep. You would have not only known the status, but you'd be able to lock the door so you wouldn't be able to Dodger, get back in. Exactly right, absolutely. <laughs> we just put a round door handle on was how we foiled him. This, this is a dog that we have actually, they had to put uh, child-proof uh, things on the oven because he kept turning the gas on. I think he's oh trying to gosh. kill them. Yeah, <laughs> sounds I'm like I'm a really it. dumb dog. I go for the dumb dog. That's the way to go. Yeah. So uh, something else I wanted to bring up as well. So uh, with our MyQ technology, we've actually partnered with Amazon, and we provide in-garage delivery now. So if you're a Prime member and you download the Key by Amazon app, you could actually have your packages delivered in your garage so, so that you know they, that they're securely delivered. So do they notify you and you open the garage Absolutely. for them? Absolutely. Through the entire process, you're notified when the driver arrives. The uh, MyQ will, and Key by Amazon will alert you when your door is opening, and it'll also let you know when the am door I, is closed. Am I, am the I the one delivered. who opens it, or are no. they? So the driver is the one that opens the door, but they don't have access to that door unless they're at the right home with the packages that are supposed to be delivered there. So we've made sure to have all the security points points taken uh, care of. In addition to, uh, the driver has to stand at your door and wait for the door to fully close before they're allowed to leave. So that way, no one can access your home at any point. For the audio listeners, I have my skeptical face on right <laughs> now to that idea, but uh, it could be. It could be. I'd like it a little bit better if I got to be the one to open it and close it, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. So and not only that, but you could, again, you could add the camera and you could visually confirm ah, what's going on with the delivery. And so, then I could have a MyQ uh, door lock to my house. That's exactly so that right. Get into the that's house exactly what that happens. So when the driver shows up at your home to deliver your package, they go to open the door, your MyQ, your smart lock would automatically lock, preventing them from breaking that threshold. They could not go through the threshold of your garage then. And you guys have thought of everything. This is fantastic. So where do people go to find out more about all these products? So they could visit liftmaster.com to get all the information in regards to our integrated video solution, the accessory camera, and the smart locks as well. Very good. Thank you so much, Kevin. This Thank is so really cool. And I love my MyQ system. It's great. Thank you for being a customer. The next time you hear me saying that Android and iOS are pretty much equivalent now in terms of security, would you please reach over the internet and slap me upside of the head? Seriously. Now that you know the end of the story, let me start at the beginning. In April of 2017, I bought a Google Nexus 5X because I needed an Android phone to initialize the Google Fi data cards I had acquired to give us inexpensive data while on our international travels. I had a lot of fun learning Android too, so that was a, a double fun. I chose the Nexus 5X because it was the least expensive phone I could buy that was still being sold by Google. I wanted a phone sold by Google because I knew that other manufacturers didn't necessarily give you the latest OS or even security updates after a while. I knew that if I went with Google, I'd keep getting updates. One entire month after I bought it, Google announced that they wouldn't guarantee security updates for the Nexus 5 after September of the following year that my, my brand new phone had a life of maybe 17 months. I was furious. Well, the good news is that Google did support it longer than they guaranteed, but the Nexus was officially cut off in 2019. I planned to throw it in the bin, as, as Bart recommends, but no silicastaway Joe LaGreca said he wanted it for some localized testing, and I knew he was going into this with his security eyes wide open, so I let him have it. I went to the SMR Podcast Facebook group where a lot of Android folks hang out, and I asked them what I should buy. Again, my requirements were few. 
I wanted the least expensive Android phone that had the highest probability of getting security updates for a long time. The only job this phone will do will perform or that it'll perform other than give me another chance to play with Android is to act as a tethering device while on an international travel. While the Google Fi cards work in iPhones, Google doesn't let you tether from the iPhone. The phone that got quite a few recommendations was the Moto G7 from Motorola, which cost me $199 for a 64GB model. I never did a review of the device, but I actually really like it. The hardware feels solid, the camera is mediocre, but it's fine, and it's really fun to type on with the haptic feedback, and I like the touch, uh, the uh, fingerprint sensor on the back. I played with it for a bit. I loaned it to my friend Diane with my Fi cards when she was on vacation, and then I threw it in a drawer to await our next trip. A few weeks ago, Bart mentioned a security patch for Android, so I pulled it out to run the update. But I couldn't log into the device, and it had been too long to use the, the fingerprint sensor. I triple-checked my password, which was, of course, in one password, and I was putting it in correctly. Now, why would that be? Well, I went online and I found a way to wipe the device in a very Linuxy, geeky kind of way. With a double secret key combo, you can boot an Android into a, a recovery mode and wipe all data and do a factory reset. I ran through the steps and in a little bit, I had a fresh version of Android on the device and I was able to recreate my login, add my fingerprint and start putting applications on the device. But first, I ran system updates. Now, Android doesn't really make this easy. First, you open settings, which, you know, which is a reasonable place to put it. And all the way at the bottom, you'll find system, which says below it, it includes languages, time, backup, and updates. Tap on that and you'll see a list of system things you can change, none of which is updates. The last thing is advanced, which is folded up for some absurd reason and includes system updates at the very bottom. You sure wouldn't want a novice user to install system updates, now would you? I ran the updates until it said it was up to date, shut it down, and threw it back in the drawer. Then just last week, Bart mentioned another critical Android update. I whipped open the drawer, pulled out the Moto G7, and ran the update request again, and it said, your device is up to date. And it proceeded to tell me that the security patch level was December 1st, 2019. But the latest update for Android 9, also playfully called Pi, was February 2020, not December 2019. I don't know what I'm so worried about, though. The security bulletin listed on source.android.com only talks about that security update fixing a critical vulnerability that lets a maliciously crafted PNG execute arbitrary code. So it's not like it's a big deal, right? All right. So it's time to contact Google. Why was this thing not getting security updates? This phone is seven months old, and I'm not getting security updates. I found live chat with Google, and while Jennifer at Google seemed quite lovely, she said as I bought the device via Google Fi, I would have to chat with them instead. But she happily transferred me over to Jyothi from Google Fi on chat. Jyothi first explained that if I had the device enrolled in the Android beta program, that might be preventing it from getting the latest security updates. She sent me a link to check if I was enrolled. I knew I was not. And the link simply said that the beta for Android 10 was complete and to go away. So they don't have a beta for Android 10 because Android 10's out, so you can't be in the Android beta program. She didn't seem to buy that I couldn't check my device there, but I, I, there was no other option. She kept saying, can't you see it? I'm like, no, it's not there. Then she said, and I quote, the updates for Moto G7, or for, for updates, no, this is exactly the way she said it. The updates for Moto G7, you need to contact the Motorola. 
And while her grammar was atrocious, the message was worse. She would not, could not help me with OS updates, even though her company slash organization sold me the phone. She insisted I had to talk to the hardware manufacturer, even though it was the operating system. Well, if I was annoyed at Geothia about this, it was nothing compared to the level of service I got from Motorola. First of all, they start you off with a really annoying virtual assistant named Moly, who, and uh, Moly gave me links to do the software update that returned an access denied message. So that was a real helpful website. I just kept typing it in too many words till Moly decided, eh, maybe I'd better give her to a real person, and I was given to Joanne. I explained that I was not getting the critical February 2020 update, and she explained that all I had to do was install the Lenovo Smart Assistant in your PC and connect to the phone. Um, Lenovo? Why am I being, what? Lenovo? What's Lenovo got to do with this? After a few messages back and forth, I found that Google had sold Motorola to Lenovo. Okay. I explained in what was a slightly annoyed tone by this time that I don't use a PC, so I can't install the Lenovo Smart Assistant. It's a, 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 a Windows executable. Her answer was, just, answer was just a smidge less helpful than her previous message. She said, and I quote, That is the only thing we have here as we do not have tools to distribute the updates. I understand that you need help. You did not receive the security patch. We do not have the tools to send the patch in your device, and the only thing we have is the smart assistant. If you want, you can check it with our developers forum. It will receive updates. Okay, that sentence didn't make a lot of sense either, but wait, the forum is going to receive updates? That doesn't make any sense at all. I also questioned her use of the adjective developers for this forum, suspecting it was actually a user forum. She assured me it was developers. The only useful thing I got of Joanne was that I had her confirm twice to make sure she understood my question that the Moto G7 should be getting these updates. It's not like it's been end of life or anything. It's supposed to be getting the, the security updates. She explained that I could mail the phone in for free and if damaged, they would fix it. Well, since this device has only been handled a few dozen times, I'm pretty sure it's not damaged in any way. I told her I'd check the forums, and the minute I said I was going to do that, she hung up the chat text on me, uh, the text chat on me. I, I really wanted to check that first before she hung up, but she got rid of me. By this time, I was in pretty deep, so I signed up for the forums. After all that falderall and I was finally in, I did a quick search for Moto G7 update, and I got zero hits. All right, I'll post my own question. So where's that new post, new question, start a conversation button? I'm not joking. I cannot find it. By this time, I'd spent about an hour and a half on the phone and I went to bed. Well, after my morning run the next day, I was refreshed and ready to do battle on this problem again. Google gave me the phone number to contact Motorola tech support on the phone like an animal. So in hopes that I got someone better at this than Joanne, I used the telephone. I got my little friend Joe on the phone from Motorola and explained the situation to him. He completely understood what I was asking and he immediately gave me this answer. Updates come out at random. We don't push them to everyone at once. I said, hey, that's a terrible answer. He said, but I'm telling you the truth. I said, oh, I'm 100% certain this is the truth. But that doesn't make it a not terrible answer. It's still a terrible answer. I explained Apple ships its new OS to every single eligible device on, like within the first few days. And I also didn't even bother to point out that they update devices back six years. 
Now, I normally use the moniker My Little Friend for people who help me, and you might be surprised that I did anoint Joe with this title, but it's because he was very clear from his tone that he also thought this was a terrible answer. I pointed out how the February patch fixed a critical vulnerability that allowed this maliciously formed image file to have uh, access to remote execution, so it wasn't like these patches were important or anything. He was very apologetic and knew it wasn't what I wanted to hear, and he wasn't at all defensive. So, I mean, how can you be mad at the guy? He's been tasked with giving you a terrible answer. I asked him whether Motorola controls the servers that do the pushing or whether it's Google. He said it was Google. I don't know if he was certain about that, but I suspect he's right. Well, after I got off the phone with Joe, I kept searching for more information and found a Motorola site that would reveal exactly what security patches are available for the Moto G7. Remember I've been saying there was an update in February? Well, turns out there was one before that in January that I never got. And better yet, there's yet another one I haven't received from March 1st. I am three patches behind on a seven-month-old phone. Now, since then, I've tweeted out uh, to uh, Motorola, and Motorola asked me to DM them my IMEI number, which I did. And you know what they said? It was awesome. They said, download the Lenovo Smart Assistant to your PC. Okay, great. So then I got a survey asking me how happy was I with the phone support that I got from Motorola. I didn't say nice things. I was polite, but I said, yeah, I didn't get any help and I would love somebody to contact me. Here's my email address. And I got an email from a senior advisor called, by the way, Joe was his name. I hope it's not the same guy. And he said, oh yeah, I'd like to help you. Give me some times you're available. And I did. And that was three days ago and Joe hasn't gotten back to me. So, if you ever hear me saying that Google's getting really good at security patches and updates, please write to me and remind me of this article. You can even write it in all capital letters. In our NoSilicastaways discussions, I often hear people complaining about Apple's refusal to update someone's iPad Air 1 or 2007 MacBook. I don't want to hear about it, okay? Apple is amazing and Google stinks at this. Now, let me say one final thing on the topic. I hate to be corrected as much as the next person, but I really hope that the representatives from Google, Google Fi, and now what, four different reps from Motorola are all wrong, and there is a way to kickstart the updates to my seven-month-old phone. Please tell me if I'm wrong, and even better, tell me if you know how to make this happen. Please? Well, you guys know I'm wild about electric vehicles, so I had to come to the uh, Wallbox booth to talk to Douglas Alfaro about where... Uh, Electric vehicle charging. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so we're Wallbox. We're a company based in Barcelona, Spain. We are a European leader in the EV market for EV chargers, but we're bringing our products for the first time to the US. And we're starting first with the Pulsar Plus. This is our best-selling product in Europe because it's super connected product. It's connected with your Google Home, your Alexa, so you can set it to charge. We also have an Apple Watch app where you can lock, unblock, use your different, uh, use your different, uh, view your different stats. Obviously, this one has not charged yet. And so when, when you connect this, you can unblock the charger and then plug it in. Give me one second. Oh, he just locked it. There's a lot of uh, interference here. It's uh, every, every Wi-Fi cellular thing is going to fail, just, just so you know. That might be, oh no, there it is. There it is. Yeah. So once we have this set up, you basically unlock it. And then you can take the handle and plug it in. He just unlocked it with his watch, and I'm going to... There we go. And I'm going to plug it in here. That looked great. 
And then you can see it's very intuitive. The colors start pulsing as well as the pulsar. So. Okay, so uh, how many kilowatts or yes, what's the is, unit here? Yeah, this is a 40 amp unit, so it's capable of 9.6 kilowatt output. And so this is capable. It's tiny though. It's yeah, like the it's size of a Kleenex box. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the aspects of our company. So we do all of the design, the development, and we manufacture it in-house in Spain. So it's a European product. We focus a lot on the aesthetics and the design. And so we also want to make it super compact because we use less material. We can get the price points lower, but also use less materials and it's more sustainable. That way. I might be able to mount that to the wall. <laughs> I had to hire somebody to mount ours. I assume I'm going to ask Steve a question. You said it was 9.6? Kilowatts? Yes, 9.6 kilowatts. And what is ours, Steve? Any memory on that? We're at 50 amp circuit. Uh, yeah, a little bit over. That would be something like a 12 kilowatt or something. Okay. 11 kilowatt. Actually. Okay, so this is pretty pretty hefty. Exactly. Even though yeah, it's so for tiny. It's compact size, exactly. Yeah. All right. So then uh, let's take a look. You've got the quasar over here. All right, we've run over to the other side of the booth, and we're looking at the Quasar bi-directional charger. Now, this thing, this thing's a lot bigger, hanging on the wall there. I don't. What does this do? Yeah, so this is actually a, a world first. So this is the first bi-directional charging station for your home. And so what this allows you to do is not only charge your car, but use the energy from the car, from the battery, to power your home or send energy back onto the grid. And so what? it allows you to use your car as an energy resource instead of just an energy consumer. So would this be just if you were in some emergency situation, like uh, you lost power in the house? Well, actually the day-to-day -day, uh, use case is that maybe you have solar panels, you want to pr prioritize charging your car. Maybe you want to use your car for, for example, you come home from work, you want to set a washer or a dryer, and it's a big no-no to set it during peak hours, but maybe you can actually just power that using your car. Wow. And uh, then you charge it during when time is cheaper. And so you can use a little bit of that case. Something tells me the power companies aren't going to let you do that in the United States. Uh, oh, they actually would love this product because it allows them to also have grid services. And so a utility company can tap into this and say, actually, we'd like a little bit of reserve power because we have a big surge happening. And so it will pull from a little bit from lots of different charging stations and the EVs will actually be a contributor to the net to the grid. Oh, wow. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. That sounds a little too uh, happy joy-joy between the companies and us. I don't know, we're usually adversarial. Oh, look at that display. That's beautiful. 46 kilowatts, 32% uh, there. 4.6, uh, but you can, in, you can increase. So this is actually, negative is discharge, but you can increase it with just gestures. So you can increase it to max output years. So or? those on audio, he's waving his hand and it's going up and up and up. And you could also set it to discharge, but this process is automatic, so it has a it has a management system, an energy management system that will basically do all of this without any thinking. It will talk to your solar panels, it will talk to your car, it will talk to your home, and it will talk to the utilities and be able to discharge or charge the car or even increase or decrease the power based on what's most beneficial for your home, for the grid, or for the car. Wow, that is really, really interesting. Steve, did you have any other questions? I uh, thought he might, but uh, this is very cool. So this is the Quasar. The company is called Wallbox, and where would people find out about it? Wallbox.com. And we uh, have a website. are these on the market in the U.S. yet? In the U.S., no. So we're launching these this year. These are available in Europe at the moment, but we're bringing them to the U.S. around mid-year for Pulsar Plus and end of year for Quasar. We're doing okay, well. We, we got European customers too. And uh, what's your price point on these? So for this charging station, this is typically Quasar. Yeah, for Quasar, this is typically available at. 
tens of thousands of dollars in a large format like a refrigerator in fleet depots. So we're taking that technology and shrinking it down by size for home application. So that allows us to get to a price point of below $4,000 for this, which can also bi-directionally charge. And you can also participate in programs with utilities that pay you for that capacity. Very good, so very good. Payback. And how about the Pulsar Plus? And the Pulsar Plus is 649 So it's a very economical price point and super high tech for, that, for the price. Very good. Thank you very much. This is really interesting. Yeah, thank you. This week on Pledge Break, I am not going to ask you for money. Instead, I'd like to ask you to help me evangelize the podcast. If you listen to an episode of one of the shows and you learn something, or maybe you're just entertained, please consider tweeting, Facebooking, TikToking, or Instagramming about the show. Let your followers know that you get value here and more people will come to join the party. You can make it easy on yourself and follow me on Twitter and just retweet the spam I put out about the show, or join our Facebook group and share my spam from there. I'm not too good at Instagramming stuff because there's no Mac client and I'm trying to get better at it. So you can follow me there on Instagram at uh, PodFeet, but I don't think you can re-Insta, can you? Anyway, uh, I, I should give you a warning about my Instagram feed. It's mostly pictures of my grandson getting cake pops. If you have any questions on how to do this, follow the masters, Frank Petrie and Roger Nash. They're dedicated retweeters, sharers, liker, likers who keep the fun flowing. Is it too much work to do all of this? How about dropping a review on Apple Podcasts? Those seem to matter quite a bit too. If even this is too much work, how about telling your friends and family about the show? Chris Ashley of the SMR Podcast always tells his listeners to put their friends in a headlock and make them subscribe. Thank you in any case for any way you choose to support the show. I'm with Dr. Pat Verdun at Colgate, and she's the Chief Technology Officer, and uh, she's got a toothbrush in her hand. What are we talking about today, I Doctor? I have a great toothbrush in my hand, and thanks for stopping by the booth. We love having you. So this toothbrush is one of a kind. We are so excited about it. So most brushers around the world, you know, toothbrushers around the world have two problems. The first is, am I doing a good job? The second is, do I have a problem starting? All right, there's a lot of toothbrushes you'll see here at the CES that solve the first brush, the first problem. Am I doing a good job? Did I get all the areas? How much time did I spend? How much pressure did I use? And they got an app to show you all that right. stuff, and right? And that's fabulous. We have one too. Terrific. This brush is different. This brush is one of a kind. And what this brush does is solve that second problem, which is do I have a problem starting? And how it does this, it has a blue light. I'm going to show. Oh, it doesn't work. Oh. Mm, it's not showing. Pretend you see a blue light. So uh, there's a blue light here. And so that that's blue, right. I'm, I'm going to describe it for the audio listeners as well. So but at the brush end, right, right below, below it. Right below the head of the brush. Is a blue light. Okay. Is a blue light, very specific blue light, that basically lights up the bad bugs in your mouth. And so the bad bugs have a certain type of criteria called porphin, porphyrins, that light up as a result of this particular blue light. Porphyrins. Porphyrins, right. Is that, is that a bacteria? So it's part of a bacteria. Bacteria have them in there, and those bad bugs have a lot of it. Okay. So as you're brushing, what's so wonderful about this brush is as you're brushing, this optic sensor engages this little collar, this little light, and it, if it detects plaque and buildup, it turns blue. So right then, don't we always have right plaque? Real time. But don't we always have plaque and buildup, except like ten minutes after a root planing? Oh, right. 
Yes, but not that I had one last week. Yeah, exactly. That's I'm sorry you had that. That's a tough one. Um, I know how painful that can be. That's a good four hour fun time. Oh, it's horrible. So um, and so this brush is going to help you, by the way. So you do have plaque buildup. The question is, do you have the bad bugs? Okay. Right. And so this this gets rid of the buildup. It particularly targets where those bad bugs exert, and those bad bugs are responsible for bad breath gingivitis, periodontal disease, as well as cavities. And so the idea behind this brush is real time. So I get a blue light when it's done, white light, very accurate. Oh, you're saying it starts blue because it found some stuff and you keep going until you get keep a white going, light? Turn it white, you're ready to move on to the next area. Oh, so you it's, get, it's, you keep pulling it out to look at the light no, though? you can see it. You can see it kind of oh, out your of the periphery of there. Your eye. You can see it, which is so cool. And then the really interesting thing is it's specific to you. So you have plaque where I don't. You brush differently than I do. Right. So we all start at different points and hold the brush differently. This gets rid of all those variabilities. And it says you've cleaned. And you've cleaned specifically for your mouth. And it gets rid of the precursor to most oral care diseases. Wow, so now that's in the head, which means this whole thing is replaceable. Are these right. like $800 a piece? No, no. So the, 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 the brush head is replaceable, right? So right. just like every brush head. The but brush, I mean, is that brush head really expensive because no, it's no, got the optics in it? I don't know it? the exact price of the brush head. The overall brush will be about somewhere around 300 The brush heads are kind of a normal price because this is just an optic sensor. It's not that much. Okay, there's not a lot of electronics in it. It are in here. Okay, we do okay. have an app. Well, you can go to bed and look at how well you're brushing and all that good stuff. But what we feel is the real breakthrough is this real-time feedback. Yeah, that yeah. It's almost like you think about it like um, Google Maps versus Waze. Okay. You know, so you think about Google, Google Maps will get you there. <laughs> Waze will get you there a lot better and it will prevent problems. Right, right. And avoid That's problems. That's what this is about. This is about preventing problems versus just telling you you did a good job, which is great. But if we can prevent problems, that's what Colgate Palm Olive is all about. I like it. I, I like it. It is very cool. This is a labor of love for me because I think it's going to really get oral care and oral health in this in the world. You know, taking it up a notch, huh? Place. I'm really thrilled. So we're obsessed with all of our dental care enough that our children mock us for how much we do for our teeth. So this sounds great to me. Oh, what really? is the, What is the product called? Okay, it's Plaqueless Pro. Plaqueless Pro. Right, and we're in the process of putting it out in the middle of the year. We've been working with Apple for uh, about two or three years. We have our brushes in Apple stores now. This will go into Apple and it'll go to the profession first to see, you know, get traction with them and then we'll get it out to consumers. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Well, whatever can save my teeth. Uh, yes. And uh, by the way, my friend Joe here forgot to bring toothpaste uh, on what? travel. Do you have any? You I, can don't. Have I don't, I don't. Colgate oh booth has no toothpaste. <laughs> no. Well, you know, Headline. maybe Headline. we'll just go down to the Crest booth no, to get some. No, go there. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's terrible. We should always have toothpaste in life. <laughs> I think so. I'm, I'm thinking a giveaway here, Pat. I mean, that's a you kept toothpaste. I know. We need that swag. Oh, it's really great. All right. Thanks for for the interview. Nice to meet you, Pat. Okay. So nice meeting you too. Take care. Okay, I thought that was so funny about her not having toothpaste. I mean, come on. That's like the easiest branding ever. Just bring those little tiny tubes that the dentist gives you. And I, I do want you to know that it did work out for Joe because we found another company that had some automated toothbrush and they had this, this big bus 
that you could get into and actually stand there and brush your teeth. So he was able to go in and run run one of these automated toothbrushes, you know, smart toothbrushes. I don't remember the name of the company. We didn't interview them, but he did get his teeth brushed. So you don't have to worry about that. I'm in the Radii Devices booth with Joshua Steer, and he's going to show us some really interesting software for trying to improve the fit of prosthetic limbs. Did I get that right? Yes, that's exactly right. So we're working with prosthetic limbs such as this, and we're trying to improve how well they fit. These sockets at the top are all bespoke to the individual, and they're designed by these highly skilled clinicians. But it's really challenging to get the fit right, looking at nine visits on average. So the, the socket, for people who are unfamiliar, is the thing that what limb you have fits into. Is that correct? Yes, exactly right. It acts much like a pair of shoes. So if it doesn't fit, then it causes pain as they walk around. But unlike a pair of shoes, you can just go back, try on a new size. Here, they have to go through this long fitting process all over again. And do they have to remake the, the, the socket to do that? Yes, every time. So you end up in these long cycles, weeks between visits, so it can take months before the socket's actually fitted. So your, your goal is to get the socket fitting as good as possible right at the, at the outset, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. We want to give the clinicians that design these devices the technology that they need to be able to improve the design and get a faster fit. Okay, so we're looking at an iPad here, and I'm going to describe a lot of stuff yeah. because it's for audio as well as yeah. video. So what are we looking at here? Okay, so here on the iPad screen, we essentially have two models. The model on the left for the camera is the design of the socket. So that's actually what the shape of the final device will be. On the right hand side we have a model of the person's limb. Across it we have a, a map of the different pressures. So It almost looks like a heat map. Yeah, exactly. It's a heat map. So the darker the reds, the more pressures that are predicted in that area. And so the idea is that we can actually change the shape of the device and then in real time it predicts whereabouts the pressure will be redistributed to. So he's got six sliders here that are controlling the design of the socket itself and then we're watching these red spots get darker. And yeah, don't put it over to the right there, that looks really painful. Yeah, exactly. So you can go right over to the right there, you, this would be painful, but we can just, you know, redistribute the, uh, the pressures, change um, the distribution across. So we're really giving... We this information to the clinicians. And we can even rotate the, uh, the the model, the heat map, if you will, and we're seeing the different pressure points all the way around the limb. Yes, that's exactly right. The, the limb of someone that's had an amputation is a really complicated structure, so it's very difficult to get that right fit. There's no two people on earth with the same limb. That's exactly it. It's a, it's a completely unique challenge for each individual. So the purpose of this software then, you said, would be for to get to clinicians where there'd be, you'd have sort of a first cut, yeah. and then this would be tiny adjustments that they can make that could change whether it's going to actually be comfortable for the, for the wearer. Yes, that's exactly right. So we're trying to give these clinicians information about the predicted pressures so they can understand more about the design and understand the implications because we can't get rid of the pressure. It's always going to be there. It's about putting it in the right places. Now, there's an arrow to the right, and this really blew me away when you showed me this, is that what happens now is you said people's limbs change? Yes, yeah, that's exactly. That's really making yeah. it hard. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if we just go into this menu here. Sometimes menus on iPads don't work go. upside down, go. by the way. I've yeah. noticed that. <laughs> um, but we can actually, so on the left-hand side, we have another heat map, but we can actually see, and it's difficult to do upside down, but we can actually see that the, the limb actually changes shape. So those darker blue areas on the shape show how the, the limb has actually shrunk over time. So you might have the, 
the perfect fitting socket one day, but then the next day you wake up and it suddenly doesn't fit anymore. So fitting these prosthetic limbs is such a complex challenge. So do you have to make a whole new prosthetic limb when that happens? Yeah, often. And you then have to go back through that whole fitting process right from scratch because at the moment this data isn't stored or captured. So by storing this history, we can, say, we can see how it's changed, where the change has been, and actually use that to further inform the design process. Wow, this is really, really cool. So the name of the company again is? So it's Radii Devices. Very good. And uh, this is uh, obviously for clinicians, not for end yeah. users, but we like to look at all these interesting things coming out of the medical area. Thank you very much, Joshua. Thank you very much. Lately, I've been posting a lot of very deep technical articles and reviews of very useful applications and products that'll make you more productive. But I think the time has come to review something completely frivolous and only for entertainment. I found something that's not a game, but it's also not productive in any way. It is so pleasing that I have to share it. The app is called Fluid Simulation by Pavel Dobryakov for iOS. When you launch the app, all you'll see is a black background with a hollow white circle in the upper left. For a moment, you'll be baffled, but the only logical thing to do is touch the screen and see what happens. You'll be rewarded with a glorious burst of colored light where you touched, and it'll fade away in a moment. Wait a minute, if I touch it and get light... What if I move my finger around? Suddenly, you're painting with glorious light that moves like, well, a fluid simulation. Your first touch might be shades of yellow. The second time you touch it, it might be pink. And the third time, turquoise. Each stroke lingers, so adding strokes adds this beautiful cacophony of light together. If you do it just right, you can get the different colors to bang into each other like little mushroom clouds of color. If you put fluid on an iPad, it feels even more like painting with liquid light because of the giant surface. As soon as you're on this bigger surface, it will occur to you to add a second finger. If two fingers look so cool, how about three, five, ten? Technically, you can do multi-touch on an iPhone, but it may not occur to you straight away. Once you get past a couple of fingers, you can't see the colors because all your fingers are in the way covering the screen. Well, but wait, Allison, I'm on Android. What about me? I want to play. Good news, Pavel loves you too. I installed Fluid Simulation on my Moto G7 from the Google Play Store, and I got to tell you that uh, the simulation is just as gorgeous and fun there with multi-touch on Android. Now, pretty soon you're going to think, well, that was swell and entertaining for a minute, but what else can it do? That's where the little circle comes into play. There are a ton of settings to mess with that change the behavior of the light as you paint with your fingers. Their viscosity and radius and time and vorticity and bloom and sun rays and speculate and more. Now, I don't have a PhD in fluid dynamics, but I'm thinking maybe Pavel does because the toggles and sliders make really interesting differences to the look of your dynamic playground. As you play with these settings, you'll realize you've got nearly endless combinations you can create. You can even save presets of your settings, so if you find combinations that please you, you don't be, have to be afraid of losing them when you play with the switches. If you throw Pavel the grand sum of four entire dollars as an in-app purchase, you get even more switches to play with. You get things like pressure and edge and emboss and fringe and pixelated and flare and more and more and more. Now for free, he lets you even take screenshots to try and capture the beauty of your fleeting creations. I'm not sure why that's free. I would have charged for taking the screenshots. Now, I got to tell you, I have a lot of trouble paying attention. I find it difficult to focus on one thing at a time. But I have found that if I find something mindless to do with my fingers while I'm listening to someone, I can actually pay better attention. 
So don't tell Bart. But one of the ways I focus on the intricacies of the JavaScript he's explaining or the details of a particular hack on security bits is I'm playing with Fluid Simulator while I'm listening. Now, I got to tell you, my description sounds really clinical to describe Fluid Simulator. Let me pull a few quotes from Pavel's About on the App Store to give you a feel for the app and for the developer himself. This beautiful creation can help you to chill, relieve this pesky stress from your mind, and enjoy your moment of life right now. When you first launch it, you're going to be freezed by a beauty, that magnificence that you have never seen before. Believe it or not, you will become happy playing it, squeezing every seconds from it to experience love and connection to our big universe. Is it not yet convincing for you? And you are a type of person that this app is made for. It's going to reassure your grumpiness and you would become a very enjoyable person to be around with. Also, show to your kids. They're going to like it. You have only one life. So what are you waiting for? Stop reading this and play it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love that part. But he goes on. He says, you may ask how it works and I can say it works by a force of magic. Our universe works by principles of emergence, small physical rules that make all life possible. This app simulates liquid, gas, and water. This is a simulation of fluids life. Very satisfying and trippy experience. Watch those colorful swirls. Feel the flow. Become enlightened person. You really should stop reading this and install the app instead. Get a fresh dose of fluids to your mind. Just stop already. Do it. So seriously, how can you not play with fluid simulation after reading that? In my research for this very serious topic, I discovered that he's even made a web-based version and he put it up on GitHub under the MIT open source license for all to enjoy. It's at uh, paveldugreat.github.io and of course there's a link in the show notes. If you want to compare notes with other fluid simulation people, he's even got an open Discord server where people share screenshots and ask questions. Pavel himself has been helping in answering some of my questions. You can join, as he says, the best Discord server in the world. And he puts the link and I can put it also in the show notes. Now, if you don't believe me that this is an awesome app to relax your mind, maybe you'll believe the 5,789 people who have given Fluid Simulator an average of 4.9 stars on the App Store. Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions. You can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeed.com. You know, we're almost out of uh, CES interviews, maybe a few more weeks, and I'm really liking how I get to play with my programming and, and we get to have all this content. So if you want to start brushing off uh, your microphone, doing some reviews, I mean, that'd be fun. Not mandatory, though. Save it in case I get to go on any vacations. You know, we got a grandbaby coming up, another one. So got a lot to look forward to. I uh, can always use the help. Anyway, you can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. There we go. Anyway, remember everything good starts with podfeet.com. You want to become a Patreon? Podfeet.com slash Patreon. You want to just do one-time donations or once a quarter? Podfeet.com slash PayPal. Want to join our Facebook group? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. Want to join our Slack where Bart hangs out? Podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live where Mac Genie came in for the first time in a long time. You can do that on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.